Listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free with Stitcher Premium, like Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Science Rules with Bill Nye, and more. Plus, get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and more. Just $4.99 a month. Go to stitcher.com slash premium and use promo code THEWILDLIFE for one month free. Confronted by an angry beaver while out kayaking? Belly flop as hard as you can into the water to show that beaver who's boss. This is Wildlife with Devin and Richard Boker, a podcast that blends science, nature, and the human experience through storytelling and interviews with Earth's experts. I'm Devin Boker. And I'm Richard. Before we get into it, we want to throw out a big thank you to our member supporters via patreon.com forward slash the wildlife. Yes, thank you to our patrons Chris Trinkle, Matt Capel, Andrea Lloyd, Megan Gariani, and Bridget Fitzgerald. We seriously couldn't do this without you. Also, a reminder that we are in the midst of our first ever membership drive that wraps up on November 30th. Right now, if you become a patron or if you're a current patron and you upgrade, we will donate 20% instead of the usual 10% to a conservation program or research program related to an animal of your choice as a part of our new Wildlife Ambassadors program. Learn more at thewildlife.blog or on Patreon. I spoke to today's guest on the phone back in July. She's a lightning bug lady of Knoxville, Tennessee, and no pun intended, our conversation was extremely enlightening. She's the author of Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs, which details flash patterns of over 75 species that are found in eastern and central United States and Canada. We'll definitely link to it in our episode notes and on the website and on social media and all of that, of course. She has over 20 years of experience as an independent researcher working with university teams and as an advisory consultant on firefly studies with state and national parks in Tennessee, South Carolina, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, and New York, and has been an on-site scientific consultant with BBC Nature, the Discovery Channel, and National Geographic. She's published plenty of her own papers, and she knows more about fireflies than fireflies know about themselves. So... Hold on to your glowing butts. This is going to be, dare I say, lit. This call is now being recorded. I'm Lynn Frierson Faust. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, um, author of Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs, uh, field guide and identification for the central and eastern U.S. and Canada for our lightning bugs. So tell me, when did you first become fascinated by fireflies? Well, I've always been a nature nut since I took my first steps. Um, so we call them lightning bugs here in Tennessee, and mm-hmm. I loved them my whole life, but I liked everything else too, frogs, toads, birds, you name it. We're kind of kindred spirits, I feel. Um, so I would probably date my obsession beginning when I was 38 years old in 1991, and uh, it's a long story, but we were losing our cabin in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, so when you know ahead of time you're going to lose something you love, everything Mm -hmm. becomes more meaningful, more special, and we had enjoyed watching our synchronous fireflies up there my entire life. More on that in just a bit. And suddenly I realized we're not going to see these anymore. We're not going to be up here all summer, every summer. And mm-hmm. we only lived uh, 60 miles down in the valley. You know? sure. And I went from kind of interested to super interested to obsessive to kind of a complete 
Firefly <laughs> nerd. <laughs> so it was an evolution of my interest. And my um, at the beginning, I had three little boys under six years old, and mm-hmm. so that they took most of my time. And as they grew up, I was able to devote more time and energy to um, lightning bugs, which then became fireflies because. It's one less syllable, and it's easier to say, and I give a lot of talks. So uh, <laughs> you will hear me saying I feel like I've kind of you know, gone against my upbringing. But anyway, I call them fireflies now because it's simpler to say quicker. Honestly, I get where she's coming from. So I'm originally from Houston, Texas, and Richard actually still lives there. And down there, we call them lightning bugs. I'm in Minnesota now, been here for almost 10 years, and I think the Yanks is starting to rub off on me because I – Definitely call them fireflies. Now. Yeah, I was 38 before I had ever even heard the term firefly. Um, but now I will say even locally, uh, I kind of mm-hmm. hate it. Most children are using the term firefly, sure. even in Knoxville, Tennessee now. Um, <laughs> and so, but they're the same thing. I want people to know it's more just a regional difference or however you grew up. Yeah. Um, they're the same thing in the U.S., so you bring up a good point. So in terms of, of just terminology, yes, they're called different things. Um, but of course, there, there has to be more than one species that we're talking about. One, two, three, uh, four, six. So give us give us a sense of diversity. How many species are we talking about? Maybe uh, maybe in your neck of the woods to, to start off. Um, I'll kind of give you a range because it's sure. it's sort of a fluid topic. It depends if you're a splitter or a lumper. I've been called both a splitter and a lumper, but in a different context. What? And with DNA, mm-hmm. that's kind of mixing everything up again. But sure. generally, so so your listeners will have a, a general idea. On our farm right here in East Tennessee, we have over 20 species of fireflies. In the state itself, we have well over 30. And in in eastern North America, that includes Canada and, and, you know, and the U.S., um, Mm -hmm. we have well over 70 species. Probably 125 in the entire North American continent. Give or take uh, 10 or 20. But it gives you a little bit of idea. We're talking just in the eastern U.S., over 70 species. So we're very uh, blessed. We're very uh, diverse. They're habitat-driven, so you pick a particular habitat, and there'll be a firefly that lives there if given half the chance, if they haven't been, you know, wiped Mm -hmm. out. I always like people to to know – I think think there's kind of two – as far as the general public is concerned, there's kind of two groups out there. There's those who – understand that there are uh, uh, a great many type of insect species um, that that's almost unimaginable and then there are people who just group everything together and say here are your ladybugs here are your fireflies uh, here even mosquitoes there are over 3,000 species of mosquitoes in the world and at least 176 of them can be found in the United States about 150 ladybug species in the US as well and, and they don't really fully appreciate the diversity that is held within each of those groups. So I like to give people a sense of just how, um, uh, how, how diverse you know, these different insect populations are. Um, how, how about just so across the U.S., how, how many species would you say we have? Probably over 125. Of course, okay. uh, 
insects don't pay much attention to boundaries. And so, (laughs) you know, Canadian ones, I'm kind of including them. Uh, They kind of, Mm -hmm. they sort of fade out as you get, you know, up toward the North Pole. Canadian fireflies be like, oh, that's America, eh? We don't go there. But, uh, sure. And then worldwide, did I say that we think a minimum of 2,000 species of fireflies wow. worldwide? Yeah. Wow. And with new ones being discovered, you know, constantly and new revisions taking place in the taxonomy. Wow. But yep. for fireflies, we are lucky because many of them, but not all, but many of them flash. And their flash is species-specific. So they are advertising, at least we use the male courtship flash, but they are advertising their difference every time we see one flash. You know, it's a mating song, a love song to the waiting females who are usually hidden down in the leaves or the grass. They're not as obvious, but those males are out there advertising that they are beautiful, they are strong, they are healthy, and they are looking for love. In all the wrong places. It really makes me wonder what's wrong with us human guys, you know? I mean, like, step it up, my dudes. And you said that some so species flash differently. Is that really then how you can tell the difference uh, when you're out and about at night? Um, yes. For field biology work, you you rely on the male courtship flash. Now, it's not 100% exact, but it's fairly predictable. Um, sure. In the firefly world, though, which is so fascinating, of course, I'm prejudiced, but um, uh, there are also imposters, so there, there are other fireflies that are injecting flashes to confuse the other fireflies. Yo, that's messed up. That's oh, really? Us. Yeah, and so it isn't a perfect science, but mm-hmm. um, it's pretty darned exact, particularly I always urge people um, who are getting interested in identifying the fireflies first to buy my book, uh, have a detailed flash chart in there, but to not try to learn all of them at once or it will just mm-hmm. kind of blow their minds is I say if you have them in your yard or right you know a park nearby your house or whatever learn those first learn sure. that little group of flashes to where you can recognize oh those are the ones that flash like a lazy jay two things lazy jay sounds like a lovable doofus down on his luck and a mildly drunk uncle from a sitcom or or like a newspaper comic or like a Trumpesque nickname. Second, that makes the phrase flash like a lazy jay feel a bit warped. You know, or these are the ones that flash like a strobe light and start trying to remember your local flash patterns. Even if you don't know the name, you can give them your own little name in your head. And someday, mm-hmm. eventually, uh, you'll you'll get the, the name. You'll figure that out somewhere down the line. But a lot of people get really upset they can't go out their first night and identify everything they see. And sure. if it were easy, there would have been a field guide before now. Um, <laughs> you know, like butterflies, uh, birds, all that. These guys are tough, and it mm-hmm. is by their flash that we use them in the field. Now, in the lab, you can do dissections and, and other things. You look at the male oh, sure. tell you, yeah. actually, um, which in some groups will get you right down species and others it still won't. Genitalia? It's honestly not that much different from what you might expect. Males have a protruding genitalia and females have the receiving end called an ovipositor. 
different species have different appearances and special quirks. So you you said Lazy J. So is are their flashes not just a uh, a series of different types or maybe different beats of flashes, but also shapes? They are shapes, durations, like how quick of a flash is it, okay. the shape it gives as the firefly emits it, um, mm-hmm. the color, which is which is real. You can measure the colors, and that is species-specific also, but that is very subjective to the viewer. Proceeds to spell out Greg. To the sure. human viewer, it depends on yeah. how old you are and how good your eyes are. <laughs> like, hand me an 8- to 12-year-old child. In fact, I use this a lot because I'm 65 now. Um Hand me a young child, stand that kid next to me, and I'll say, what color do you see? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. they'll tell me. It's like, okay. Um, (laughs) So the color, everybody wants to use the color, but I find that one of the worst ways to uh, get it down to genus. Color will get you generally down to genus, and then you use the flash pattern for species. Um, But yes, and so the lazy J would be Photinus pyralis, called the Big Dipper is its common name. They are... Mm -hmm all over the eastern U.S., so probably our most common, most widespread um, lightning bug. They're they're fairly large, and they display at sunset, at dusk, and so they're kind of a cool one. Photographers love them because they can actually still see them as they're flashing, and they can get some amazing pictures. Uh, there's one on the cover of my book taken by photographer David Hughes. Um, so... Yes, it's how quick do they flash, what pattern do they flash. Also, are they just off the ground? Are they above mm-hmm. your head? Are they in the treetop? Or right behind you. <laughs> That's three different species, usually. Do they flash okay. at dusk or do they flash after dark? That's two different groups of fireflies. Uh, are they in the woods mainly or are they in the open? That's two more groups of fireflies. So they're very habitat-specific wow. time of night, time of year. Do they come out in April or do they come out the end of June? Those are mm-hmm. two different groups. And so it's a constant procession of species throughout the year, even in Tennessee, even in New England. There's some mm-hmm. adult firefly active every single month of the year with in the central U.S., let's just use that generally, and, and everything north of it will be a little later. Everything south will be earlier. But generally, April through June, that's when it all happens. And they come kind of the go. prime season. Right. Sure. But we have a winter firefly. We have some that are beginning to climb their trees right now as adults, and they will overwinter as adults on large diameter oaks, hickories, all the way up to Canada, the Alignia. And so they're sort of cool. So they're actually beginning to come out pretty soon in the next couple of weeks. But they'll find a south-facing tree to hang out on for the winter, and mm-hmm. they will just park their body there and basically be motionless until next wow. or April. Like me. Just kidding. But honestly, what a life jealous yeah it's amazing i mean it's really incredible and so if you can find them this time Mm -hmm. of year i'd really start looking in september and october um find them i have tracked them i've got papers on that i've got you know peer-reviewed published papers on it 
but you can find them in the fall or early winter and follow individuals all the way until they take to the air for their mating flight. Wow. And because most of them stay on the same tree all winter. They may have a sure. bird after them or something, and they might drop off and climb another tree. But I've done years where I marked them, and so I mm-hmm. knew exactly who I was following. And it was pretty awesome to realize these little tiny guys are sitting there exposed for up to six months, and they make it, and they're waiting for the warm weather you know, of the next year. So next year's fireflies are already coming out now as adults. Wow. That just blows my mind. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And they're kind of, the Alicnia are sort of an exception all the way around in the firefly world of North America because they do live so long, where most adult fireflies only live two to four weeks. They come out as adults, and they don't eat. They they just mate. They're, They're looking for a mate, and they want that mate to lay eggs, and then... After that, everybody dies. It's like some sort of twisted Nicholas Sparks novel. That's it. The Alicnia also, as exceptions, um, they they have lost their lanterns through evolution because they don't. Mm. Um, I'm throwing so much stuff at you. I'm afraid it's going to be so confusing. But generally, no firefly adult is active when it's below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And they don't okay. really like 50 to 60. Sounds like Texans. I mean, they'll kind of be active. But flight becomes much more likely after as you approach 60 degrees on up, uh, they, mm-hmm. they physically, because they're cold-blooded, they can't fly below 50 degrees. So a winter sure. firefly has no reason to fly around flashing because there's right. not going to be many nights where that would yeah. <laughs> and um, and so they've lost, they, uh, the geneticists think they have gained and lost their lanterns as many as five times um, wow. just through the evolutionary life of that particular species. Um, yeah, so you need the warm summer nights for the flashes. On the cooler nights, those are and days, those are the days the fireflies with no lanterns might be more active. And that's a species okay. thing, too. Uh, in the sure. eastern U.S., most of ours have lanterns, but you get out to the west coast, and most of them do not have lanterns. And so people don't know much about them because they don't even notice them or even realize they're looking at a firefly. How exactly does a firefly get its natural glow? And I, I understand it's a complicated bit of chemistry and that they manage to do it without producing heat. Is that right? Yes, it's a cold light, and it will bring you flashbacks to high school chemistry if I try to go into it. (laughs) Um, But it it is a genetic thing. They are born, you know, being able to glow. Which is mildly upsetting. I kind of hoped it was more like one day they're just chilling and they get a booty light going and they're like, whoa. And um, it's carried on the gene, and there is a substrate that we call... Luciferin, like Lucifer, Luciferin, Mm. and then there is an enzyme called luciferase, and again, it's genetically expressed in them, even as larvae. That's a hell of a lot of Lucifer. Uh Aha. Aha. Funny story, actually. So Lucifer, what people usually think is like the name of the devil, you know, name, you know, like Satan, also means morning star. So... Broken up into its pieces, uh, Lucy and Fur. Uh, Lucy comes from Luki, which is like Lux, which means light. And then the Fur means to carry or to bear. So 
Lucifer means light bringing. Now, the funny thing is, is there's actually nowhere in the Bible or anything that actually says that his name is Lucifer. It's just a weird translation issue. So the word phosphorus, phosphorus, not like, not like, not like, you know, the element or anything like that um, in Greek basically meant son of the morning. Um, so people thought because in that same line, it talks about someone fallen from heaven. Oh, the devil fell from heaven. Son of the morning. Hmm. Lucifer. It's a bit of a jump in translation, but actually the story was about the king of Babylon. I mean, that's what it, one of the re, one of the ways you can be a lightning bug is to glow as a larvae. They all do, whether they lose their lanterns as adults or never get adult lanterns, they all glow as larvae. Oh. So they're born hmm. that way. They have these two substances that mixes with oxygen and ATP, and I believe now they've discovered nitric oxide, plays a role, okay. and it creates the cold flash. And um, <clears throat> and it's also genetically programmed. What will their pattern be? What will the color of their flash be? What will the duration of their courtship, again, male courtship flash be? All of that is genetically programmed into them. So they know how right. to do it the first day they start flashing, and it's pretty amazing. It sounds like just singing a song and knowing the backbeats without ever hearing it before. And they have all these different flashes, I presume, to tell one another apart. So, mm -hmm. you know, the male of one species doesn't, well, the female of one species does not answer the wrong male. And again, sure. there are imposters in the firefly world, which really shakes it up and makes it very interesting and confusing at night. Um, but chemically... Man, there are so many really big papers <laughs> by really smart people that kind of go really into the flash. But generally, they're born doing it. It's chemical, and they give a cold light, not heat. So it's very efficient. And uh, and they've learned in the lab now um, through genetic engineering, they can actually make the luciferin and luciferase in the lab and they're using it for medical applications and the food industry really? and all that yeah hmm. so there's practical uses for it uh, also so they don't have to catch them as a child here in the south mm -hmm. they would you would be hired to catch uh lightning bugs for science back in the 50s and 60s and actually up until about five years ago we got it shut wow. down and millions literally millions were collected for the chemical houses um but now they can make it in the lab and it, mm -hmm. it would wipe out local populations yeah it was i mean just the the numbers yeah. were staggering and the number of waste was staggering because if they got the wrong types they were unusable or if they thought out they threw them away but anyway it is interesting but yes there are also industrial medical and health uses for the luciferin and luciferase hmm. that is spectacular to me that they that they I always wonder this when it comes to really any any kind of animals, insects in particular, kind of interesting with you know some of the sounds and things that they can make and um, but but the you know they have these complicated patterns that, that they just do you know they just they just know how to do it and uh, it's just in their code it's just uh, it's kind of amazing to me 
Yeah, it's really yeah. incredible. I just I just published a paper this year describing a new species of Faturus, and the Faturus group are the ones that are the imposters, the predators. They eat all the other fireflies. Uh, so it is a new species with what I believe might be the most complex pattern I know that I've ever witnessed in 30 years. It's unbelievably complex. And like you yeah. said, they're born knowing how to do it. It just blows my mind. But this uh, new firefly is so complex that by email, I can explain it to, say, a natural resource officer at a nature preserve or sure. a park ranger, you know, maybe 500 miles away and go, can you go out tonight at 9.15? I've looked at Google Earth. If you will stand here and if you see this flash, let me know. And it's so <laughs> distinct that people that have never even looked at fireflies can recognize it. And huh. uh, so it's a really fun new species because it's involving people all over the place from Mississippi mm -hmm. now to Illinois, Indiana. It's, they kind of go in a straight line up the country. Oh, wow. And, uh, it's just really fun where a lot of the species simply do maybe a quick flash every three seconds. And another one mm -hmm. might do a quick yellow flash every two seconds. And another one every four seconds. And those are tough because the flashes also depend on the ambient temperature. So the warmer it is, the faster they flash. Similar to crickets, you know, how sure, to yeah. figure out the temperature on how crickets sing. Well, firefly flashes are the same way. So one that flashes every two seconds at 72 degrees might flash every second at 80 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. So th that's all stuff you have to kind of figure out as you start learning your, your sure. uh, fireflies. But you do always need to be aware of the temperature. And what fascinates me about that is that also means the female fireflies can figure out the temperature. Right. Yeah, that's they, what I was just yeah. thinking. That's... You know, on a hot night, they're looking for a male that's flashing once a second, where on a cool night, it might be flashing once every three seconds. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that blows my mind, too. You know, they, they, it all speeds up in heat, and it slows down and basically stops below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So... There's so much at play, and we just say, oh, they're just little insects. Well, man, there's a lot going on, and I would venture to say in every insect species, there's so much we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And they have it figured out because they're reproducing quite well despite us. And um, so I just think it's an amazing thing to think of. They're, they're way more than just little insects. There's a whole lot going on them to find one another, any insect, you know, to find one another yeah. and to find a place to lay the eggs where the eggs will hatch and be safe mm -hmm. while they grow up and on and on. So when, when you know, you were talking about how there's different imposters, things like that. Um, so do other sources of light then um, potentially impact them or do, are they so good at differentiating between, you know, this is a kind of flash that I'm looking for this light is just a light and not a flash. So I know not to go near that. Uh, or, or is there kind of any, uh, uh, mixing up? It's a, it's a good question. They can differentiate to a degree, but our artificial lighting is nothing nature had a up until very, yeah. very recently, and it mm -hmm. is devastating. Once you have all-night artificial lighting, you pretty well lose 
any firefly that was there. Uh, you sure. might, it might take a year or two, but they will go away. Um, now that it's, if they're lucky, it's not too big of a lit area and they can possibly as larvae migrate away into the dark. Uh, but most times they just sort of disappear. There are a few, a few species that are luckier and that would be the dusk active ones and the day active. So of hmm. course those two groups are not as affected. Um, by artificial lighting, which has just eaten us up. Um, and when earlier I said the Big Dippers, the Pyralis is one of the most widespread, easy to recognize, and they're the Lazy J one. Uh, they're dusk active, and I think that's one reason they're doing so well as a species. Um, in my book, I call them the coyotes of the firefly world. Mm. They're actually probably spreading. Because they live oh. in ur- urban lawns, they like yeah, they like open areas. They don't mind a little extra light because they operate in dusk and they're fairly large. They're chemically protected, and so those are doing quite well. But those ones that need the dark, it's devastating, and you lose mm-hmm. them. Uh, we live in what used to be the country, used to be a dirt road. Now it's becoming subdivision land, you know, everybody moves out from town and then yeah. they build a huge home and then they put 32 floodlights on their house that <laughs> never go off. And I mm-hmm. have watched local population after local population disappear because of that. And it, it kind of breaks my heart. Um, yeah. I no longer, I have horses, I have livestock when I, I usually feed at night. I don't even need a flashlight going down there anymore. There's so much ambient light and we're still quote out in the country and mm-hmm. um yeah so lighting is devastating on fireflies uh they do know how to tell one slash from another but just try it yourself oh cue the thing why this that's whole go out in your yard tonight and turn your mm-hmm. floodlights on and then have a friend stand 50 feet away with a pen light you know which one do you notice you're blinded yeah. by you're blinded by the bright light blinded by the light now right. they are adapted. People go, oh, what about moonlight? Well, yeah, um, once a month <laughs> there's a full moon and it you know lasts a yeah. few days. The real bright nights. And what we find is almost every species, even the ones that normally display out in the open, they will move to the shade. If there's trees, they'll display really? under the trees. They don't like mm-hmm. the competition of moonlight, but they are adapted to it. But that's just one light up in the sky that doesn't. You know, that kind of goes away, luckily, for yeah. three, three weeks of the month. <laughs> and um, But we do notice we rarely have a peak of any species during the full moon. So whether mm-hmm. they can somehow time it or it's our view of it, because the display is never as good on full moon nights. Mm-hmm. And it might just be because they're kind of drifting away under the leaves and they... Mm-hmm. You know, they're avoiding the bright light, but artificial mm-hmm. light's a whole new critter, and, you know, yeah. it's, it's devastating, as is, you know, the pesticides, the people that have the beautiful lawns with no weeds and no bugs, right. they probably also have no lightning bugs. Oh, by the way. Uh, fireflies are beetles. Wait, what, they're, they're not flies? What about being called fireflies? Yes. They are not flies, and they are not bugs. You know, bug is actually a... A group of insects. Um, they are beetles. They're in the beetle family. So any pesticide that treats beetles uh, is mm-hmm. going to wipe out the larvae 
of the fireflies and or and or the adults. Um, and so they disappear from chemically treated lawns and areas. Golf courses are notorious for using lots of pesticides. Freaking golf courses. You know, golf is one of the only sports where the whole goal is to play as little of the game as possible. Just saying. Um, mm-hmm. Areas that have a high mosquito load in the summer that are sprayed, you can kind of kiss your fireflies goodbye. Sure. Uh, you know, so doing the fogging, but... You know, I've been places where the mosquitoes will flat carry you away, and yeah. <laughs> it's a, there's no easy answer to any of that. So I'm not saying mm-hmm. we shouldn't fog and spray, but it does damage, and it goes on up the food chain because in the sure. bugs. But we have to acknowledge the birds that there's an that impact. Eat the bugs, and it, it's an mm-hmm. awareness, and so you kind of have to balance. And I wish I had like this real easy answer about that. I don't. It's all a balance. So the artificial lighting, pesticides, then habitat destruction is huge and fragmentation. Mm-hmm. And any time you bring a bulldozer in, you've probably wiped out an entire population. Now, why is that? Well, it all has to do with the larva, really. And we'll get to them right after the break. The Wildlife is building a community on iNaturalist with a new joinable project. Connect with a community of over 750,000 scientists and naturalists who can help you learn more about nature and help confirm identifications. By recording and sharing your observations, you help to create quality research data for scientists working better to understand and protect nature. iNaturalist is a joint initiative by the California Academy of Sciences and the National Geographic Society. For details on how to join our project and connect with other listeners, Visit thewildlife.blog forward slash iNaturalist. Uh, I haven't talked about the larvae. That is, that's the babies, you know, the firefly sure. babies that hatch out of eggs. And that, that is the long part of their lifespan. In the south, it's about a year. Um, wow. If real lucky, they might have two generations a year, but that's not very common. Although it looks like mm-hmm. Louisiana is doing that right now. I've got a a spotter down there that reports to me. But anyway, most of them generally take a year to go from egg to adult. Where you get Mm -hmm. up to the Northeast and in Minnesota, including you, it's probably a two, maybe three-year period for a larvae before it becomes that adult that only lives a few weeks. And that's all about growing seasons. Our growing season in Tennessee is twice what yours is in Minnesota. And they need a certain amount of time. As larvae, that's the predatory phase. They eat insects. They hunt in the soil. They're voracious eaters. But that's also when we lose entire populations and don't even know it. Which brings me to a new segment that we are calling this week's Reality Check. Reality Check! Okay, people, here's the thing. I may just be a firefly larva, but I'm already sick of humans. When I grow up, I've got a solid two or three weeks at most to find a man. Two to three weeks! We don't have Tinder and Blender or Donner and Blitzen, okay? Two to three weeks to find a man and lay some eggs before I die so that my family name can live on. And you, people, with your pesticide fogging and over-the-top floodlights and your heavy trucks compacting the soil, you're messing it all up and then you're like oh where did the fireflies go gee i freaking wonder this has been this week's reality check 
I get a lot of questions from uh, family and friends in, in, in the Houston area in particular about how, you know, over the years, they feel like they're not seeing as many fireflies anymore. Um, which is funny, by the way, that we call them fireflies and lightning bugs, but they're neither fly nor bug. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> so and then recently I was leading a, a hike uh, up here. It was a nighttime hike. Um, just saying uh, you can find out more information on future hikes at hikehoppers.org, by the way. And we came across a, a very small patch of, of fireflies. And, you know, a lot of the people I, I was with immediately started saying the same kind of thing. Oh, my gosh, it's just so great to see them. I never see them anymore. Um, and we, we kind of had this conversation about, you know, maybe there's part of it that is because because as an insect, they are so visible um, in in comparison to other things that you notice, you know, if you're not seeing the light, clearly there's something different. Uh, whereas maybe other insects that don't glow, they're probably also on certain types of declines from similar causes, but we just don't see it. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming then it's the, so light pollution combined with the habitat loss and fragmentation, and then them being so susceptible to that underground damage that you don't even see, um, that's causing the, the decline in both of these places? Yes, and the decline, again, is local, but then every extinction is local. I mean, in my opinion, sure. you know, yeah. rarely does the whole world disappear at once. Right. Um, in Minnesota, in Texas, there are wonderful populations that still remain. I can guarantee you that. I've seen them. Mm -hmm. But you have to get away from the artificial light, from the pavement, the destroyed sure. habitats. And um, so... Yeah, I'd say Houston doesn't have many left in downtown <laughs> Houston. Um, yeah. Some some odd places people can look though, even urban dwellers, uh, mm -hmm. are old old churchyard cemeteries. Well, sometimes mm. like downtown, you know, the really old churches, if they sure. ha still have a cemetery with grass, they often will harbor a remnant population, usually of the Big Dippers. You know, again, that okay. coyote and the firefly world, yeah. and some of the predatory ones always seem to follow wherever their prey is. Sounds like goth Disney World. Uh, uh, cemeteries, big cemeteries will have them, but any city park, state park, or national park, they are the reservoir for so many things, not just fireflies. Um, the Nature Conservancy lands, uh, uh, sure. nature preserves here and there, that's where you go to see them because no artificial light, usually the habitat is intact, usually they have diverse habitats, it's one reason they've become a park. You know, there's usually mm -hmm. a water feature, a river, a pond, a marsh. Um, and all of those places, of course, are where you want to be if you're a lightning bug. Uh, now, Taipei, Taiwan, we had our world uh, as a group, the Fireflyers of the world, and we're a pretty small, nerdy group, mm -hmm. but we <laughs> all really like each other, and we get together every three years in a different hemisphere so that grad students and interested people from that hemisphere can hopefully absorb. Um, okay. So we, we met in Taipei, Taiwan in 2017. It was a fabulous, fabulous trip. But Taipei had a program that was successful of reintroducing fireflies into their little bitty city parks. And they actually did it. And, uh, and we got to witness it. And it was a combination of using, they worked with lighting people that developed just the right wavelengths and just barely bright enough for everybody to be able to see, but not mm -hmm. so bright it was 
affecting the fireflies, seeing one sure. another, and they reestablished water and wow. cover. And, yeah, it was really an amazing thing to see, and it was a huge effort. They involved communities and the city fathers and everything else, and um, and it worked. And people love lightning bugs. You know, it makes them happy. Yeah. And that's a worldwide thing. And uh, mm-hmm. But seeing that they actually did it uh, was very humbling because some of our national park bathrooms are the worst offenders of anything. You know, they'll have these bright <laughs> floodlights going out, fluorescent lighting, yep. uh, and, and we need to be more mindful in our natural areas, well, everywhere, but particularly the natural areas where they actually might still be surviving to eliminate or uh, make the lighting much more blending in. It needs mm-hmm. to be shielded and dim, dimmer, you know, and all that. But uh, I'm, I'm getting on my soapbox now. But anyway, <laughs> the, the big point is that Taipei brought him back to the city, which is really amazing. One difference, however, is most many of their fireflies in Taipei have aquatic larvae. That means they're learning to live in the water. And so that does make it a little easier. They have developed some good methods of rearing theirs, where Mm -hmm. ours are really hard to rear, uh, living underground, and no one knows much about them. And they're very – they die real easy when you're trying to rear them. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So so I think they are in Minnesota. They are in – Texas, because I've seen them, but you have to get out. You, you have sure. to get away from the urban areas. That's not where you're going to find them. Yeah, yeah. In any okay. big number, yeah. So when it comes to, you said, so fireflies are not flies. They are, they are in fact, beetles. Um, and uh, recently, I, I actually, for it's kind of embarrassing to admit, I for the very first time saw one in broad daylight. I, I was shocked though, because I was like, well, this is not anything like what I um, could, you know, at nighttime when you catch it in your palm and you kind of take a peek at it, it, you really can't see those details. And it was just kind of like this black with this this red rusty badge and this kind of black inset mark on it. And um, it threw me for a loop. And so I was wondering a, a, a couple of things. Uh, what really defines then a firefly and also is there any reason uh, that kind of coloration i notice a lot and what people call stink bugs and and things like you know that the black on red kind of coloration is there any kind of evolutionary reason for that there 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 is and it's a great question and you find it throughout nature um the fancy name is aposematic and the easy name is warning coloration and warning Mm. coloration is usually black red yellow and white the term aposematism was coined by the english zoologist edward Bagnall Poulton in an 1890 book, The Colors of Animals. And he based the term on ancient Greek words, which mean a way and sign, putting them together to basically mean a way sign, referring to signs that warn other animals to, uh, well, stay away. Uh, think of a skunk. Think of Dracula. Sure. Think of a goth teen. <laughs> um, you know, a coral snake, all of them are sure. saying, look at me, I have these colors, I taste bad, or I will kill you. That's a bit of an abrupt escalation. Uh, you know, hmm. one or the other, it is a, on a almost universally recognized sign in the animal world of, uh-oh, that's so brightly colored, I better watch out. You know, it's telling me mm-hmm. it's chemically protected. 
Um, and in the firefly world, they all have the, not all of them, but most of them have the aposematic coloration, the red on black with a little yellow thrown in normally. There are an awful lot of mimic insects that look just like fireflies almost, and I, people send me thousands of pictures of them a year asking <laughs> about what they've just seen. And in my book, I have two entire plates just showing just a few of the copycats. But mm-hmm. in the insect world, you know, there are different types of mimicry, and I'm not going to get into all the Batesian and sure. and all that. We will. There's really three types of mimicry in insects, uh, protective mimicry, aggressive mimicry, and intentional or, or conscious mimicry. You know, things like uh, looking like leaves or looking like another bug or looking like you have big giant eyes or uh, looking like you're surrounding so that you can hunt things better or playing dead or, you know, a bunch of different stuff. And so, sure. uh, you know, all of nature is such an amazing arms race on eat or be mm-hmm. eaten. Uh, but the fireflies, almost all the species we've tested, although there's some that are just kind of brown and black and they don't have much color. And I really, no one yet has looked into how chemically protected are they. Okay. But most of the firefly species are bags of chemicals. Uh, they create these things called, I love this word, Lucy Boofagans. It's a great word. Not to be confused with Lucy Doocy Farfanugans. Feels like an old-timey insult. Not sure why. Lucy Boofagans. <laughs> and Lucy, of course, means light, and Boofagan comes from the chemical that protects toads, the bufos. And oh, so the okay. Lucy Boofagans, yeah, that's where it comes from. Uh, they're cardinalides, which means they are heart toxins. And hmm. uh, they create that, and it's heart toxins to anyone. And the theory, Tom Eisner, uh, who was a great chemical ecologist, opined that if a grown man ate 10 fireflies, it would probably kill him. It would send you into cardiac arrest. Wow. Thank God I've only eaten nine. He's kidding. Yeah, please don't eat fireflies. Or anything with a glowing butt, for that matter. Uh, cardenolides are uh, digitalis is a cardenolide, so it affects your heart rate, and it messes up your sodium channel in your body. It messes everything up. And wow. so they are very chemically protected, and that's one reason they're able to flash very obviously at night, and they're not gobbled up by every bat out there, because bats learn quickly that they taste bad. And mm-hmm. most frogs learn quickly that lightning bugs taste bad and usually they might try them once and spit them out and then they've learned their lesson um so yeah the colors do matter and but not every small black beetle with red and yellow is a lightning bug it could easily be a mimic there are also some uh, relatives like net wings and click beetles that on the Mm -hmm. taxonomic tree are really closely related and they look a lot alike uh but to be a firefly, you have to glow as a larvae, and you normally have a pronotum. That's the shield that covers the head. Normally, your head can totally retract under that shield if you are a firefly, uh, kind of. Okay. Not quite like a turtle, but but generally that pronotum covers their head where soldier beetles, and there are a lot of soldier beetles that look like fireflies, their heads do not retract, and they have a smaller head shield. So it's kind of little things you don't really notice, but once you start looking at them, there are ways to tell a lightning bug, and of course the lightning bug flashes, but then some click beetles glow. So that gets confusing, oh. but, uh, <laughs> but they glow from a different 
part, and they don't have lanterns. They glow actually from up around their thorax. So, oh, okay. uh, yeah, and so the lightning bug is glowing as a baby is a big thing, and that pronotum, and then there's some leg structure that I don't think your listeners care about, but the angle of the coxie to the body, mm-hmm. you know, there's sort of nerdy taxonomic features, but mainly it's the glowing as a baby, and then flat, you know, if you see something flashing at night, it's a lightning bug. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's pretty easy for <laughs> the level of when people are just learning yeah. about it. And uh, you know, finding one during the day like you did, you would, you would want to look at the pronotum. You know, how big is it? Is the head totally retracted when it's trying to hide? And are the wings fairly, the wing covers, that's the elytra or elytra, depending on how you want to say okay. it. Uh, the wing, co- the hard wing covers that all beetles have usually are fairly smooth in a firefly. Whereas if it's a net wing beetle, which is very similar and closely related, they have reticulations. They have like a pattern, a woven pattern on their their wing mm. covers. So there are ways. It's not just magic. Um, sure. <laughs> but there's exceptions to all sure. of that. You know, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to even say this, but I've never, uh, normally I'm really good at, at these sorts of things and kind of thinking about the, you know, these different connections and natural selection and, and how things might have come about. I've never once really given thought to, it's amazing that fireflies are able to persist given the fact that they literally glow <laughs> like hey look at me <laughs> and, i'm right and they, here they if don't... you want to eat me yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I had never given that too much thought but that completely makes sense then that they would that they would be you know toxic at some level or or be trying to warn things off and yeah wow it, okay. it, it really is amazing now some of the flashes as you get into the different flash patterns and mm-hmm. you've got some great ones up there in minnesota they are also designed to be a little bit uh, mind-boggling to a predator. Mm-hmm. You know, they're usually flying and zooming, and not many are continuous. Some do a continuous glow, which would be pretty darn easy to hone in on. But mm-hmm. um, if you pay attention, sometimes it is kind of hard to follow them, and they flash so quickly, by the time you go to where the flash was, they're gone. And yes. uh, so they, they do have other methods because there are still things that eat them. Spiders are huge predators of mm-hmm. fireflies, and they seem to even specialize. Uh, certain spiders seem to specialize at certain times of year. Um, and so clearly they've gotten around the chemical problem. Uh, but generally most things avoid them. And, and that smell, when you were a little boy in Texas, did you ever catch them and then your hands yes. smelled funny? Yep. You're, you're smelling the Lucy Bufagans then. Oh. Uh, it's a reflex bleeding and you're, you're kind of getting a whiff of, ooh, that doesn't smell all that great. I mean, we huh. used to just call it the lightning bug smell. I mean, you had it on your hands yeah. after you had caught it. That's very specific. Yeah. 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 It's a smelly smell that smells smelly. Let's just take a moment to appreciate that humans don't employ reflex bleeding. Oh, hey, Paul. Proceeds to bleed in the break room. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point. So we, uh, uh, our, our family has, um, we're, we're fortunate in that, um, so my mother-in-law, she's got this uh, this patch of, of land right on the border of a lake. And when we go up there on the weekends, um, there are fireflies there and it's great because you go other places around the lake and you don't really see them but it's not really lit it's kind of isolated it's bordered by woods on either side um and i i've got a three-year-old is this in minnesota or texas minnesota yeah okay yeah and uh i've got a three-year-old 
and a almost three month old, but my three year old and I, we always, I'm trying to always show him, you know, the different insects and things and trying to get him interested in the fireflies. And it's always a struggle because, you know, one will flash. And by the time I see it and point to it, it's gone. It's 10 feet, 15 feet, some other direction. And, and, uh, but that brings me to the synchronous population then, because that's, that's gotta be a whole other kind of experience. And, uh, I'm curious, like what you can tell me about the, the synchronous population and, and the Smokies and does anyone know how they're able to do that, how they're able to synchronize? Well, I worked with a research team, one team for 18 years and then have continued on with other teams since then. Mm-hmm. So a whole lot of science has happened on, it's Photinus carolinus, the synchronous ones mm-hmm. of the Smokies. Um, uh, let me. There's a couple of things that gets repeated so many times wrong, and I want to say it right. Uh, sure. They are just one of several synchronous species in North Carolina. I mean, in okay. uh, North North America. I'm sorry. North America. Um, whereas around the world there are other synchronous species, um, but they are usually they are all different from one another. The ones in the Smokies are not the same species as the Asian sure. synchronous ones, and that gets repeated so often it drives me nuts. They're entirely <laughs> different. They're not only different species; they're different genera and everything else. In the sure. southern U.S., we have two wonderfully breathtaking synchronous species. We have Photinus carolinus in the Smokies, and we have uh, Futurus frontalis all over the southeast, all over it. Um, you just have to know where to look. And But again, their synchrony is different. The Photinus carolinus, and super important, they are in the up and down the Appalachians, not just the Smokies. They start in North Georgia, and they go all the way to New York State. And everybody okay. is hung up that they're only right here, and they're all over the place if you look in the right habitat at the right time of year, sure. at the right time of night. <laughs> <laughs> if you get any of those three wrong, you won't see them. Um, and th- they range, and they're a higher elevation, so in the south, at least, you need to be about 2,400 feet or higher when you start seeing them. As you mm-hmm. go north in latitude, they come down in elevation. And by the time you get to northern Pennsylvania and southern New York, they're down at around 1,000 feet, which is basically what everything is up there. Um, mm-hmm. They go as far west as Cleveland, Ohio. We found a fabulous really? population there this year. Yeah, so they're not wow. just in the Appalachians. It's what used to be. <laughs> Does that make sense? You know, there used to be forests yeah. everywhere. And yeah, so no, I think sense. we now have disjunct dis- populations where at mm-hmm. one time they were way more widespread. Um, sure. And so the synchrony in the Smokies is called a discontinuous synchrony or the wonderful word syncopated. And that means a change of rhythm. And that's what their synchrony is. It's a syncopated rhythm of three seconds. And let's always say we're talking roughly 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, because again, hotter is faster, colder is slower. But at 72 degrees, it's three seconds of flashing. And they flash every half second, so six flashes in a three-second period, followed by six seconds of absolute dark. And then it repeats. And, mm. and 
even alone, that's pretty amazing to realize the the rhythm that this one little insect has to flash six times and then go dark for six seconds and flash six times in three seconds and go dark. But when you see it by the thousands and they're all doing it together, <laughs> it's really yeah. an amazing thing because you're sitting there absolutely blinded by the flash that's going on and then suddenly the whole forest goes dark. And then it all, and you think, wait, where'd they go? There's nothing flashing. And then suddenly you get three more seconds of of the flashing. So, you know, it's a really amazing thing to see on a peak night. It's something I wish everybody in the world could see at least once, be standing mm-hmm. in the Smokies on the peak night. And, and it's, it's just mind-blowing. It's pretty at the beginning and the end of the season, but it's absolutely mind-blowing the two or three nights a year when it's at peak. Um, so, but it's a discontinuous synchrony, meaning it's the dark period is actually the most synchronous. They all shut off and they're all dark for that six seconds. And guess what happens halfway through that dark six seconds? Hmm. What, what do you think would happen if those are male the- courtship flashes? Hmm. I'm assuming that's when the females show up. Like a reverse milkshake. Exactly. Halfway through, at roughly the three-second mark of the dark, the female Mm -hmm. answers. And it Mm -hmm. makes total sense when you're talking about huge numbers of fireflies. These are all phytinus. Um, The female would not, they would never see that little female hidden down in the leaves if they were all just flashing all the time with that density. And not all species fly in these dense uh, congregations like these do, but these guys are dense. Let's be honest, most guys are. And um, yeah, so it gives the female a time to respond. Let's just imagine for a moment that fireflies use another method aside from light. You mean like sound? Yeah, like singing at the same time. Better yet, screaming. God, can you imagine? We we did uh, we've done experiments. There's a couple of papers out on it. On we we made some LEDs into artificial flashes, and so we'd have eight little LEDs representing eight males, and we could program them to flash in the specific, you know, six flashes, six seconds of dark, six flashes, the right rhythm, the right everything. And then we had live females captive down below to see their response. And what we found is as long as all those eight diodes were synchronizing, that female was answering every time. She was responding. Hmm. But then we started gradually getting them out of synchrony. First one or two, or one of them lagging a couple of seconds behind the other. And fairly quickly, the female just shut down. She didn't answer. And it's like, wait, guys, y'all got to get your act together. Everybody needs to flash together, and I'll behave again. I'll answer you. But I'm not going to answer this messy group of males. Actually, that makes sense. Let's, Let's go back to that sound idea for a second. Would you like to hear a whole bunch of dudes screaming at random intervals or an acapella performance? Like everyone singing the opening theme to Halo in perfect harmony. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. And so then when we would dial it back to synchrony, she'd start answering again. And uh, so it's interesting for this particular species. It looks like asynchronous blinks, that means blinks that are not synchronized, kind of jam the female. It confuses her. She doesn't recognize it as the right flash, sure. and she shuts down. Uh, that's not true of every species, though, because mm-hmm. you know, most of them are not synchronous. Uh, 
And whereas the other species, uh, Futurus frontalis, they flash once a second as they fly four feet over the forest floor. They're in the woods. And it's uh, it's near perfect synchrony, and it is fabulous because they're moving and they're flying, and there will be as far as you can see. Now, again, this is in a really good spot, you know, where the habitat's great, the larvae are all living very well. Um, yeah. But the more there are, the better the synchrony of any species. Uh, mm-hmm. But the frontalis is something um and it's once a second. So it's a different synchrony than the Carolinas, but they're both synchronous. And um, I, I work as a consultant for a lot of movie projects, a lot of nature documentaries. And in some ways, the frontalis, we call them the snappy sync. A killer acapella group name, I might add. These are the ones that flash every second in synchrony. Are more camera... Uh, ready because they never have that dark period you you know on sure. on, on the big screen tv you can't do six seconds of dark or everyone yeah. will get up to go get something to drink go to the bathroom they'll leave and so yeah. in na- nature's patient the six seconds of dark works very well for the fireflies but for us impatient humans the once <laughs> a second flashing is more appealing yeah. to film because um, they always have to edit out the six seconds of dark which drives me nuts because then it's not accurate right then it's just Uh, this weird representation yeah 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 but anyway to me it's really exciting and these populations exist all over the place but very few people go out at night to the right places you know everybody's Mm -hmm. home watching their tv or they have their floodlights on Mm -hmm. um but i do want an awareness that these guys are out there and uh the the snappy sinks go all the way up to delaware the coastal delaware all the way down to Florida and across to Mississippi. And, you know, so it's a big old area that has them. And then the Carolinas go from North Georgia up to New York. And then there are, of course, all these other 70 or more species have their own displays that are fabulous. And maybe they're not synchronous, but they are mind-blowing. If you, again, happen to be there at the right time, right time of year, right time of night, and standing in the right place. Uh, and so I, I hate it when people all say, oh, I've never gotten a ticket to see the Altmont fireflies. And I, you know, and I did state, I wish everybody could see them once in their life at least. But mm-hmm. everyone has access. To me, as you know, as, as you've mentioned a, a couple of times, it sounds that so many people, um, you know, basically act as if fireflies are something that they, that are, are too far away um, huh. or that just aren't they aren't anywhere local. They, they have to go somewhere far to see them and, and they can't enjoy them. But the reality of the situation is, is if we would just, um, leave the house right. <laughs> and get out from in front of the TV and shut off the lights and, and go somewhere where there's not a lot of ambient light, you know, you, you probably exactly. stand a pretty good chance of, you know, getting to, getting to appreciate, um, exactly. Fireflies. Yeah. And, and here's another big one. Uh, you see, and I, I see this every year in the Smokies. Uh, I hate the crowds up there. I hate what they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to the environment and all that stuff. However, mm-hmm. the flip side is there are literally thousands of people on the the Firefly shuttle nights, they're called, because they shuttle mm-hmm. people in. You're not allowed access unless you have a shuttle ticket. Suddenly, thousands of people are out in the woods who wouldn't have been otherwise. 
And yeah. there are varying degrees of bravery in these people, <laughs> where mm-hmm. some are very at ease in the woods and they strike off in the dark, and you really need to walk, uh, don't walk in the dark, stand in the dark. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what I encourage, it doesn't matter if it's your local park, your nature preserve that's an hour from your house, wherever, go in the daytime first and scope it out. And sure. find a place where you kind of think, well, now, if I were a lightning bug, I think I would live here. Often it will have a stream, a pond, some shade, some opening. That's where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And um, and then go in the day, get familiar, then go at night, take a lawn chair, and then just mm-hmm. sit there and turn your light out. Yeah, I don't want people to break their legs while they're bumbling through the woods. <laughs> but But a lot of people will finally take that leap and go out into the night, and they have a 16 million candle power flashlight. <laughs> and they are not going to see a single thing. I've had people on a peak night in Elkmont, and I walk in the dark as much as possible, or if I use a light, you shine it only at your feet, a little tiny, old-timey battery, you know, not an LED light, just enough to see and not die. But I've had people come up holding a lantern like that does 360 degrees of unshielded light, and they'll come up and go, where are the lightning bugs? <laughs> and they are literally surrounded by thousands, but they never see them. The, the light has blinded them. They can't see beyond the circle of light, and they're not even aware of it. And that's so sad. So I try to tell yeah. them, but then I, I have realized some people are really scared of the dark. And they're yeah. particularly scared of the dark if they're out in the national park, you know, or in a yeah. forest. It's like, yep. really, you guys are okay. Just turn out your light. Nothing's going to kill you <laughs> or eat you. But yep. some people are very uncomfortable. So I've learned to be a little more respectful for that. Mm-hmm. But um, so, yes, they have to go out to their local whatever nature place and turn the light out. And the older you are, the longer you better sit there in the dark and letting your eyes adapt. Um, yeah. Again, the 8- to 12-year-old kids or your little 3-year-old, they can see everything. They see in the dark. But the older you get, all that takes a little longer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the flip side of people are trying. Anyone that, try, that, anyone that has gone through the ordeal of getting a ticket for the Great Smoky Mountains Light Show, um, my hat is off to them because they have to start <laughs> February at the lottery. The tickets sell out wow. in less than, less than five seconds all over the world. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I had, I had a group from the Smithsonian a couple of years ago. Six of them wanted to come see the light show. And so they had called me. Everybody calls me and asks if I can get them in. It's like, no, I can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... So they they had six of them in the office, all at their computer, and say the tickets went on sale at 8 a.m. on February 15th mm-hmm. in the morning. They all had their finger on the send button so that when the clock struck, they would all do it, and the odds were one of them would get a lottery ticket. Not a single one got it. It was sold out in one second that year. Wow. Yeah, wow. and so um, so my hat is off to anyone that makes the effort to try to get up there. And mm-hmm. uh, and the park has it. They have rangers. They have little information. Yeah, and so it is a good place if you're not comfortable in the forest. It is sort of monitored. 
yeah, where you're mm-hmm. not just striking off on your own. But I would say a lot of your listeners would be a lot better off just finding their own good spot and keeping it yeah. quiet. Don't tell anybody else about it. Just take your friends there yep. and yep. Um, enjoy it. Um, Gosh, we've been all over the place. A bit. A bit. Sorry. The, the one thing that everybody's fascinated about, and I didn't really explain, um, again, if you get my book, you can read it all, and it's a lot better laid out. But uh, mm-hmm. the predatory one is a driving force in the Western Hemisphere, the predatory firefly, which, to our knowledge, Asia does not have them, um, anything mm-hmm. the, uh, predatory firefly. But we have the Futurus predators. It's the females of the Futurus genus, um, of some of the species in the Futurus genus. And they can mimic the flashes of every other firefly out there. And so they can lure in the lovesick males. Whoa, here she comes. He's a man And eat them. And that's an evolutionary driving force that has really, (laughs) we think, influenced everything. And they're large. They look like predators. Uh, I'm curious if you took a picture of one. I'm wondering. Um, But they're long-legged. They're strong flyers. They're humpbacked. I mean, when you see one, you know that that's probably going to be a predator, where the other ones are kind of flat and harmless looking. Um, Yeah. But it's it's just interesting, and they, including they eat their own males often after mating. Really? Yeah, they will mate with the male, and then as soon as they're through, they turn around and eat him. Sounds romantic. And um, oh wow! <laughs> and it doesn't seem to make them live particularly any longer than any of the other ones, but it's presumably to acquire the lucibufagans, those those protective chemicals that are made in abundance by the prey oh. species. And so they eat the prey, they get the chemicals, they incorporate those chemicals into their eggs, and it will give their eggs a leg up chance to survive. More sure. than if they didn't have the chemicals. Huh. So again, it's this dog eat dog world. Yeah. So it's it's like giving it's giving their offspring a shield of protection and just a little extra boost to to ensure that they survive. Interesting. Wow. So one thing I've been wondering is where do they even get these toxins? Do they produce them, or do they get them from a food source like monarchs do? Um, I have a paper out on this, but we have learned that fireflies, they don't eat as adults in general. They don't have to. They can be an adult and never eat, but they do seem to utilize milkweed. And so far, I have 17 different species in five genera that I have seen nectaring milkweed, just like monarchs. Exactly like monarchs. And, um, again, the milkweed chemical are cardinalides, the same thing, the uh, heart toxins, and that's what protects the monarchs also. So if you're broadcasting out, just tell people, uh, Mm because I get a lot of people are emailing me now that have seen it, just pay attention when you look at your milkweed, ideally the common milkweed, that big mauve kind of tall. Yeah sort of ugly one, that's the one they like the most, the wild ones. Um, Do they see any fireflies nectaring the milkweed? And if so, shoot me an email of where you are in location, take a picture of it. Uh, But it's interesting, we're thinking uh, that's one way they get these chemicals, because no one's ever really known how do they 
have yeah. these perdemolides, and uh, this could be one of the ways. So there's, wait, one other paper, a fun thing, because okay. we do have another total eclipse coming in 2024, but uh, Mark Branham and I have a paper out on fireflies flashing at totality, and it's a pretty cool paper. Oh, wow, if I really? I may say so, and I have a slideshow that I posted on ResearchGate, too. Um, but the answer is, yes, they flash only at totality, not one minute before and not one minute really? after. Is that wow. not amazing? And no, so we had always kind of heard that, but there was no proof. And um, I interviewed people from Missouri all the way to the South Carolina border, and it was just so cool. They saw it in a band. Um, I can't remember how many miles that is now, 900 miles long, um, and they flashed only at totality. So we have pictures of every site where it happened, and uh, it's it's a fun wow. thing. Although 2024 is in April, where... Mm-hmm. The last one was in August, and what we had, those same Big Dippers, the same Photonis Paralis that I say are mm. so abundant, they have sometimes in Tennessee a second generation. When we get enough rainfall and it's been a really good growing season, we'll get another little group of them around Labor Day, and that's what we had going on here. And uh, mm. and I, it came right over our house, and I chose to see... 62 seconds of totality versus I could have driven a half an hour and seen two and a half minutes. But it's like, wait a minute, I know what's here at the house. And if they're going to yeah. flash, I know where to sit. So I did that. Yeah. I'm glad I did. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, that's amazing. sort of another fun thing. Um, yeah. The April one, you'd have to be in Texas probably to see any sure. flash, and it will be too early season uh, most places. That's absolutely incredible. It all really is, though, isn't it? I mean, the point I keep coming back to mentally is this idea of visibility, right? We notice when we see less fireflies because fireflies are, I mean, it's, it's hard to miss them when they're out and about and they are putting on their show, um, which now we know is really just all about, you know, trying to, trying to make some babies. Um, yep. Yep. Basically, um, when, when they aren't there. You know, you know, you, you miss the visual, you miss the, the natural glow. It makes me think, though, and what the research and, and what the news has been saying as of late, we are in the midst of truly an insect apocalypse. We are losing insect diversity uh, across the globe at rates that we've just never really been able to to detect before um, or, or, or rates that just haven't really occurred before, at least since possibly since humans have even been on the planet. So all of these different insects that we don't don't necessarily see or or hear um, that are that are present in their own way that we just completely miss and, and how much they themselves might be declining. Fireflies are just no, they're more they're more noticeable. We see it. But it is it is concerning. I can't remember the last time I saw fireflies. I'm seeing them a lot less. A lot less. But, as always, when we do an episode that is largely focused on insects, my individual goal here, my hope, is that when you take out your headphones or or you get to your place of employment or you leave the gym or whatever it is that you're doing, that you sit back and you say, huh, well, that's kind of interesting. 
I didn't know that they did things with the eclipse, or I didn't know that this that's what this was for, or I didn't know that this impacted these insects in this way. That you just some on some level appreciate them a little bit more other than other than visual or, or other than what they can do for you. Um, and, and maybe start to think about what we can do for them. Last time on Animal Sound of the Week, it was a while ago because we had a revisiting and then we had a spinoff premiere and then we had a, a short solo one. So yes, granted, okay, sure, sure. It's been a little more than a week, but guess what? That's fine. No harm, no foul, right? Anyway, last time, it was a bear. Yep. Yeah, a bear. Did we have any guesses? No, and that's partially because I forgot to put it on bear? social media. Uh, a grizzly bear, I believe. I believe it was a grizzly bear. Good point, Richard. Good point. Not all bears sound the same. Bears, bears be different <laughs> sometimes, right? Bears be different. Bear bears. Okay, this week... <clears throat> we have a new sound, and I don't know what that new sound is yet, so hold on one moment while I converse with my co-host here and, <laughs> and we decide. Um, <clears throat> hello, Richard. So okay. let's, let's let's do it. Okay. Hey, guess what? We uh, we decided. Um, I'm a little nervous about attempting this sound, um, particularly because I don't want to alert my my children. Oh my god! To, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> to I, I've had a slight cold lately, which you might hear my voice a little bit, and um, I'm a little nervous about how effective my sound could be let's just say if i was this particular animal i would be getting no mates however we will try oh, yeah okay uh richard how about you how, you want to go first you want me um i, I almost just want to sing instead because now you got that song Which stuck one? in my oh, head oh here she comes watch yeah. out boy she'll chew you up Oh, By the way, there, there was a lot of song references in this episode. I know. Well, you know what? Music is a language of love, is it not? And yes. in our story today, fireflies are all about a language of love, right? So imagine, imagine that you're a bird. You're a bird. I know that always comes. I need to. We should make a shirt that says that. Um, if you're if you're still listening and, and have not <laughs> oh yet God, turned please, off the show, please. Uh, if you would like a t-shirt in our store that says imagine that you are a bird a, a call back to our electromagnetism Devin, episode Devin, then i will put that up there i promise you me Lithania, and charlie will all buy for that for some shirt. reason you need to make that shirt 
because at least you'll at least three times it'll be sold. I don't know why that's emerged as being such a popular line. Um, let's just wrap up with Animal Sound of the Week. Um, people are probably already okay. turning off the show. However, hey, just real quick, did you know that we are up over 600% in our listeners? How crazy is that? Yeah, uh, that's that's pretty cool. Actually, not even listeners. That's downloads. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Downloads. We, people who have specifically gone in and downloaded the episode, we are up 600%. I, I'm, I'm so I know, flattered. Right? <laughs> Someone likes us. Okay, <clears throat> to the sound. <laughs> Wait. <clears throat> I haven't heard you in a long time. You just time. gave the answer away. I'll bleep it. <laughs> what do you mean you haven't heard one in a long time? Where have you been? A cave? Okay, I, that's a clue. I Our live animal in a does Waller not live County. in a cave. I, I used to live in Gallison County. Now I live in Waller County. I'm like... Probably two hours from the shore now. Sadly, I'm in I'm in Minnesota. Granted, there are over ten thousand. I also don't here. go outside anymore. That's just depressing. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I'm also very sad now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> wow, sorry about that. As always, submit your guesses on social media, really wherever you know at Devin the Nature Guy, at the wildlife.blog, both of those social medias work. On our website, we've got a button where you can do it on facebook.com slash the wildlife blog. If you just want to comment on our episode with it, which by the way, by the way, well, number one, you get a prize if you get it right, just saying. But by the way, please, 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 please. Our downloads are up. Our listeners are up. Um, we've gotten a few more ratings in like iTunes, um, but wherever you are listening to this podcast, please drop us a rating, drop us a review or a comment. It helps us to understand uh, what's working, what connects, what you would like to see in the future um, and, and all that sort of stuff. And plus, we'd love to read it slash share it slash um, cry about it on the show. So yeah, ratings do help improve the show. And and just they also help to increase the visibility, like it'll move up in the ranks and and all that, all that jazz. So, uh, one last uh, one last time, a, a thank you to Lynn Frierson Faust, our our guest. I I hope you did not mind if you were now listening back on this. You the the very long tangent there at the end. Um, <laughs> you were a pleasure to talk to. I'm saying this as if I'm speaking to her directly. She was a pleasure to talk to. Let's just be honest. She was she was very kind um, with her time and with her knowledge. And so just a big, big thank you. Big shout out there. Definitely check out her book. It is an extraordinary guide to the Fireflies of Canada and North America. Um, just absolutely stunning imagery. Check it out. And then again, thank you to all of our patrons, Megan Gariani, Macabella, Chris Trankel, Bridget Fitzgerald, and Andrea Lloyd. Thank you for listening. And you'll hear us next time. Can't always really say see you next time. We never see you. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs>